welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements that have become very real to us from the Scriptures, either that have made the Scriptures more real or the Scriptures have made things more real in our lives. We've been able to apply them better, uh, and it helps us draw power from the Scriptures and remain anchored in Christ. I'm your host, Carrie Mulstein, and this week it's uh, we're going to cover a little bit in this podcast of some things that are not in the reading to set the stage for the reading. It's a short reading assignment this week just a few chapters in Kings that are powerful, but you won't understand them or draw the lessons from this as well, uh, or make sense of a whole lot of the readings that come hereafter if you don't understand what happens in this reading assignment. So we're going to make sure we understand what happens between Solomon and Elijah. So uh, as our last week's reading ended, uh, Solomon was uh, it was dying. He'd... Uh, uh, had that it really that faltering at the end where he didn't do as he should uh, and we get at the very end of chapter 11 verse 43 and solomon slept with his fathers which is a way of saying he dies and is buried the place where his, his ancestors were buried and was buried in the city of david his father so that is in jerusalem remember the city of david is not bethlehem it's jerusalem except for in luke 2 um, in the city of david his father and rehoboam his son reigned in his stead so rehoboam becomes king but this is not going to last for long where he's king over all 12 tribes because uh, Rehoboam is having uh, some issues. Not all 12 tribes are so sure that Solomon was powerful, but he had taxed and taxed and taxed, and it had gotten very difficult for everyone, and they're not so sure this is going to work well. One of the things we didn't talk about in this earlier chapter was that uh, there was a man named Jeroboam who was prophesied would become king over part of Israel. And uh, Solomon uh, was not so excited about this. And uh, so Jeroboam, uh, in fear, fled down to Egypt and sought uh, refuge and sanction in Egypt. But when Solomon dies, Jeroboam comes back. And, uh, and uh, Rehoboam goes to Shechem. So he's going to one of the northern, the, this main places in the northern tribes. This is a place where Abraham had built an altar. Jacob had built an altar. It's the place where... Uh, We'd had some problems with Levi and, and uh, Simeon and so on, uh, but it's a, a, an important place in Israelite history, and he's going there to get all of the tribes to acknowledge him as king. And uh, he, he, when they uh, meet him there, Jeroboam, who is from Ephraim, and so remember, you've got one from Judah, one from Ephraim. This is a natural schism, natural uh, contest about power that, that will shape up here. Uh, Jeroboam representing all of the rest of the tribes of Israel says, you know, your, your yoke is uh, grievous. Uh, what your father had, had made us do with all of the taxes and all of the people that had to go work for him and so on was too much. And we'd like you to lessen this and then we'll accept you as our king. And so Jeroboam goes and asks his father's advisors and they say, good idea. You ought to listen to the people and you can have the kingdom. But he also asked the people his age, and they say, no, 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 you've got to show them you're tough. You've got to show them you're strong. Don't, don't give in at all. Tell them, if you thought my father was bad, you've seen nothing yet. And he foolishly listens to the younger people. Now that I'm older, I can see how foolish that is. But anyway, he listens to the younger people and follows their advice. And the rest of Israel decides not to follow him. And so the kingdom will divide in two. We usually say fairly simplistically, and it is how we'll continue to say it in this podcast just because it's handy, that it divides into 10 tribes in the north and two in the south. That kind of works. So remember, in a way, there are 12 tribes, 
in a way there are 13 because Ephraim and Manasseh are both Canada's tribes. And so that makes 13 tribes. Um, Simeon's area had been where Judah was and Simeon was absorbed into Judah. So there is no separate tribal land for Simeon. So that takes us back down to 12. But of course the Levites never had any tribal land anyway. They just had cities all over and presence all over. So that takes us to 11. So does that mean that really they're kind of three in the, the lower kingdom and 11 in the northern? You know, it, it just gets complicated. So we'll say 10 and 12, knowing that in some ways it's accurate, in some ways it's not. It's all sorts of stuff going on. In any case, this is where we get the divided kingdom and we get the schism and Rehoboam will be king in the south over the tribal land of Simeon, which doesn't exist anymore. So it's absorbed into Judah. So we just say Judah and Benjamin and Jer Jeroboam, uh, yeah, right. Rehoboam will rule over that. And Jeroboam will rule over all the tribes in the north, including over on the Eastern side of the Jordan river where you've got Manasseh and so on. So this is uh, how the, the kingdom divides. And it's interesting. I think we sometimes don't give Rehoboam enough credit because Rehoboam immediately starts to gather an army to go and conquer the northern tribes and take the kingdom back. And if he had struck at that moment, he probably could have because he is organized. He has an infrastructure. He has a standing army in the north. They're not organized. They don't have anything like that. He probably could have done it. But um, what happens is you get um, a prophet that comes to uh, Rehoboam and says, uh, don't go to war against those people. And uh, so we, we get in, uh, we're in chapter 12, 1 Kings chapter 12, and we get to verse, um, uh, let's see here. Uh, well, I was just looking at where to go. Verse 23, speak unto Rehoboam, the son of, so this is the word of God that came into Shema'iah, man of God saying, speak unto Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and unto all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the remnant of the people saying, thus saith the Lord, ye shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel, return every man to his house, for this thing is for me. They hearkened therefore to the word of the Lord and returned to depart according to the word of the Lord. So he doesn't go to battle. He loses the kingdom because the prophet told him to. I've got to give him some credit for that. That's, that's pretty impressive. Now, Jeroboam finds himself with a problem, and this is the part we really have to pay attention to, and we have to understand. Um, Jeroboam recognizes he's now king over a larger territory, a more fertile territory, far more people. The northern kingdom is the more powerful kingdom. There's no doubt about it. Geographically, it's in a better position, all sorts of things. Uh, it is, a, a, he's king over this area, but he has a major problem. And that is that the, the temple is in the Southern kingdom. And uh, Jeroboam said in verse 26, Jeroboam said in his heart, now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord of Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn against uh, again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go and get to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So what's his answer to this? It's not seek the Lord and find out what he should do or anything like that. He takes counsel of others and he made two calves of gold and said unto the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. And then he quotes Aaron when Aaron built a calf. Behold thy gods, O Israel. And it's really behold Elohim. Uh, but then it uses plural verbs anyway. So uh, he's, he's mincing words the way Aaron was. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. 
And he set one in Bethel, that's in the very south, where Jacob had had his vision. And he put the other at Dan in the very northern part of the kingdom. So in the very north and very south of the kingdom, he builds these uh, huge altars and a huge high place with a big golden calf. And uh, we're going to come back to verse 30 in a minute. He made uh, houses, the, the high places, and he made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of Levi. So he appoints people to be priests who do not have the right to be a priest. And he ordains his own feasts uh, that are different than the ones that uh, are supposed to be happening in the law of Moses. And he offers upon the altar and so on. So he, he changes all of their religious practices in a way for political purposes. And this is a problem. So let's go back, though, to verse 30. And this thing, meaning he set up uh, uh, in verse 29, is where he set up a golden calf in Bethel, one in Dan. Verse 30, this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. And they also went to the other in, in Bethel. Um, this will become what is known as the sin of Jeroboam. And even the kings in Israel that are fairly righteous are condemned by the biblical writers, partially because the Bible that we have is written by the southern uh, writer or the, the people who work for the southern king or the king of Judah and so they don't like anyone up north it's all they're certainly usurpers in their eyes so that's part of it but part of it really is that none of those kings get rid of this false worship they don't get rid of those high places and the the worship of the false gods and that's a huge problem it will lead to their destruction we are going to find that the northern kingdom is much less stable. It is rare, it happens a few times, that it is rare for a son to successfully succeed his father. Whereas you'll see that the, the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, is it's all the Davidic dynasty. You just get father, son, father, son. There are a couple of times something weird happens, but, but then it's right back, and it's never someone from another family. It's a very stable dynasty, whereas in the north, it's political uh, bedlam all the time. Just craziness. And uh, the, the biggest reason for this is that the, all of their leaders, some of them kind of righteous, but still all of their leaders supported this false worship. And that leads the people to trouble. And this is a big part of the reason why the Northern Kingdom will be scattered or 100 years before the Southern Kingdom and part of why they will uh, get lost when they get scattered. So we'll talk about that at a later time. Uh, but you, you need to understand the Bible will refer to the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, uh, again and again and again, and that's what it's talking about. A little bit the false priests and the false festivals, but mostly these golden calves. And you can see these today uh, in, in Tel Dan. They've excavated, and you can see where the temple was in the rooms, and they found the, the implements for worship and so on. They found part of the altar, and you can certainly see the high place where this golden calf was. It's a real deal. This is as real as it gets. And when you're at that place, you're at, at uh, ground zero for the scattering of our ancestors. Uh, most members of the church are descended from one of the tribes in the northern kingdom. Uh, and so we have to ask ourselves how are we like these, our ancestors? Uh, how are we so? quick. And that's one of the questions you have to ask yourself. There were a group of people who were going to have nothing, none of this. They could tell this was false worship. They didn't want anything of it. And they went down to the Southern Kingdom. So some people, and they became really part of the tribe of Judah and would be known as Jews today. Um, so some people were going to have nothing to do with this. But if you're not from Benjamin or Judah, then your ancestors 
had uh, a leader who, uh, for political reasons, encouraged them to be wicked, and they all just fell in line. And so we have to ask ourselves how much that's our proclivity. How much are we willing to when there are, are uh, any kind of leader, political, military, social, philosophical, uh, pseudo-religious, uh, entertainment leader, whatever it is, uh, that is encouraging things that are not what God has asked, how quick are you to fall in line? How quick are you to follow them? And it's happening like crazy in our day, like crazy. Uh, this is bad stuff, and we need to learn a lesson from it. Now let's just spend a couple of seconds on several chapters. I actually love the storyline here in Kings, all sorts of fascinating stuff, um, but we won't get into it. Um, Jeroboam dies, and his son Nadab uh, reigns in his stead, um, and uh, you get an invasion from Egypt, but Nadab isn't able to hold the throne for long, and instead a guy named Basha kills him, and he reigns in wickedness. And, and kills uh, everyone that is descended from Jeroboam so that he won't have anyone that threatens him. Um, but then he's replaced by a guy named Elah, who is overthrown by a guy named Zimri, who's overthrown by a guy named Omri. All right, so we're going to come back to Omri in just a minute. Meanwhile, in Judah, you get uh, Jeroboam being um, uh, succeeded by, I mean, Rehoboam being succeeded by uh, a, a wicked king. Um, and uh, then you get uh, Abijam, and then he's succeeded by a righteous king named Asa, who has some miraculous stuff, turns to the Lord for help in battle against the Ethiopians, and is miraculously saved, and all sorts of other cool things. But they kind of keep alternating between um, righteous and wicked kings. So uh, that's a great thing. Uh, and we're going to, in a later lesson, look at some of the things we can learn as we kind of look at big picture all of these kings and what they do and don't do and so on. Um, but what I want to spend some time on is the story of Omri, uh, who is a, a general. So Zimri is a military leader who overthrows Elah um, but, uh, and wants to become king. But Omri is another military leader. And uh, so it's kind of the, he and the people saying, wait, you can't just do that. So Omri overthrows Zimri. And Omri establishes a house that, uh, or a dynasty that does last for a while and is powerful. Omri is actually quite powerful. We have lots of different little pieces of evidence of, uh, letting us know he's one of the more powerful people in the region uh, with a fairly significant army. Uh, for many years thereafter, even when it's not his descendants on the throne, uh, the Northern Kingdom will still be known as the House of Omri. Um, he apparently has some, some problems with uh, idolatry, but even more than that, one of the, some of the things he does is he arranges for political marriages for himself and for his son Ahab. And one of the worst things that will happen is that he has Ahab marry a Phoenician. So the Phoenicians are a very important people. David and Solomon had alliances with them. They helped build the temple. They helped bring in the goods for the temple. They had uh, some artisans that could help build the temple. Uh, so they're important people to be allied with. So politically speaking, that's a pretty smart thing for Omri to get Ahab a wife um, named Jezebel, who is, uh, who is a uh, uh, Phoenician and who is a devout follower of Baal and Asherah and other Phoenician gods. But the problem is that then she convinces Ahab to also become, uh, or to allow her to be zealous in building up that cult. Uh, and so in a way, we've had these false gods that were kind of loosely associated with Jehovah, but because of this uh, marriage to someone who, uh, I think she probably didn't like 
uh, the kingdom of Israel, she felt like the Israelites were backwards would be my guess. But one for one reason or another, she is very zealous in trying to support uh, uh, a cult with priests and priestesses of Baal and Asherah and others. And uh, so uh, Ahab will get deep, deep, deep into that. And so there's another question we have to ask ourselves. And this is what sets the scene for uh, chapter 17 and the story of Elijah. Elijah is in many ways the response to Ahab and Jezebel and the, uh, the idolatry that they actively uh, foster in the kingdom. And so we have to ask ourselves a question again. First of all, our ancestors were quick to follow Jeroboam into uh, idolatrous practices that are kind of loosely focused on Jehovah and in many ways not, but that just slowly lead away from Jehovah. And then they're awfully quick to follow whatever it is that Jezebel puts in front of them. And she puts some crazy wrong stuff in front of them, stuff that is clearly not anything to do with Jehovah, but they seem to have been prepared by the sins of Jeroboam, and that that makes it so that they're ready to jump in with Jezebel and the sins of Jezebel and um, and uh, Ahab and the worship of Baal uh, to where this stuff is happening in the capital. It's happening everywhere, and so we have to ask ourselves, how are we like them, and how can we learn from the mistakes of our ancestors? And some of the answers to that will come in the story of Elijah, who was sent specifically to deal with this problem. So these are questions that, that I hope you'll ask yourself and that we can find some answers to together.